Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. We're continuing our month-long celebration of romance that we're calling Kiss Timber. Today, we have husband and wife duo Jacinda and Jack Wilder, and we talk about the ups and downs of the writing life, understanding your audience, and delivering what the audience has come to love from your writing, the changing market, and how publishing has changed over the last decade, and so much more. Later this month, we're kicking off something that I know you're going to love. We call it the Write a Novel in 60 Days with Dabble Challenge. A group of writers from all across the genre spectrum will join together to each write a novel in 60 days. It's going to be challenging, but it's going to be epic. We will have weekly check-ins where we report about our progress and share our frustrations and successes. We hope you'll join with us. We'll share more about this as we get closer. Now on to our interview with the Wilders. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. I'm your host, as always, Hank Garner, and today I am super excited to have Jacinda and Jack Wilder here on the show with me today. It is our Kiss Timber Month, as we've uh, alluded to before, where we're talking all about romance and uh, you know how that can affect your creative life, whether you're writing romance or one thing that I, I love to talk about, Jack and Jacinda, is how all um, all writers, no matter what genre you're working in, could really take some lessons from uh, from romance writers. And, you know, in even, you know, not just talking about kissing scenes, but, you know, the, the human interaction that is so deeply highlighted in romance you know there are a lot of thriller writers that could really take some lessons um so anyway uh welcome welcome to the show guys thank you thank good to you. be here yeah we say every good story is is actually a romance story like star wars behind you right there that's a romance <laughs> to, to me and my daughter yeah. i have said that i think marvel needs even a little bit more romance they really do doesn't have to be over the top but you know they hinted at it with um the Hulk and Black Widow, but they never really went too deep into it. And I think that was a missed opportunity. Oh, yeah, I Hulk so too. missed opportunity. I wasn't going to go there, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> well, smash. I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm into that. Are you guys watching She-Hulk? We are. We are. They're, we are a Marvel family, so we have to watch every single thing. As our soon kids as it comes insist. Out. Yeah. We have a thing at the dinner table called Marvel Shouting where everybody debates all things Marvel, so. At the top of their at lungs. At the top, because they're so <laughs> impassioned about it. It's something. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, for for the people who may not know your story, um, we first met a long time ago, and uh, you guys were some of those people that were really on the forefront of indie publishing like like really on the cutting edge when the Kindle revolution first yeah. kind of blew up and then indie publishing became a viable thing. And you guys had a very dramatic story of getting into publishing and it literally changing your lives. Yeah, we did not plan for that in not any way, in, shape or form. No. We didn't think anything was going to even come from it, really. Um, and we kind of were thrust into the spotlight a little bit. Um, and it did really change our lives. We had a sick child and uh, Jack and I were teachers and we couldn't be in school full time because we had to take care of our sick children. So um, we did it kind of like just as a, a last ditch effort um, to be able to pay our bills. And it kind of just took off um, beyond our wildest dreams actually so we did not not intend <laughs> at all for this yeah. to happen we didn't intend to be on that cusp of the indie revolution it just kind of happened that we were there and and we were blessed by that so um you know we love writing we are both also artists i'm musician he has always been into the arts um and and we never thought we could really make a living doing what we loved and what our passion was but right it just kind of fell into our laps and, and we have had an amazing ride. You guys have been publishing 
a decade, maybe a little longer. Yeah. yeah. A decade. Yeah. Wow. That that's amazing. Did from yeah. where you sit right now, could you, if you think back to where you were then, could, could you ever imagine that the next decade of your life would be? Gosh, no. <laughs> no, it's a blur and I can't even go back there. I mean, like I try to think through all the decisions we made because at that time, I mean, even our agent said like the things that were hitting us were right. more than she'd ever seen before in her yeah. career. Like just, and, and how we had to make these decisions with very little wisdom because we yeah. didn't come from this business and yeah. we were literally just like swept up in this. So looking back, it's really hard for us to even look at those things because obviously there's a lot of mistakes that we feel like we've made it. Maybe some opportunities that we missed, especially yeah. with our family because our family was so young at the time right. and we traveled, I mean, sometimes two to three weekends a month and you can't ever get that time back. So now looking back, I'm like, man, I wish I would have been better with balance. Yeah. I, <laughs> I wish I hadn't felt that fire um, lit so just uh, huge underneath us and just kind of calmed right. down and taken a minute. We're both all breathe. or nothing people. Yeah. And we yeah. did not stop for a second. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, now looking back, I'm like, it's overwhelming almost yeah. to think of what we've gone through. Well, especially like looking back just as writers leading up to that decision to try it, we had never put out a full length novel. novel. We had never finished anything. Right. Both of our computers were full of short starts stories, and stops and short stories and monologues, all sorts plays, of stuff, but yeah. we had never finished anything. And then now 10 years later, we've written a hundred novels and it's kind of, nuts it's very nuts that's crazy did so in those days when you had not finished anything and your computer's full of these snippets of ideas what were you thinking at that time were, were you thinking you know i i do have a story inside me but what, what what do you think the barrier was that that kept you from finishing a project making a living yeah making mm -hmm. a living I mean, we at the time, he was going to school to get his teaching certification. Um, he was substitute teaching. I was teaching and I did private lessons when I wasn't teaching. At the time, we had five kids. We didn't have the time. I mean, and until right. we were forced, I mean, literally forced. I still think to this day, had our son not got sick, we probably never would have finished a project. I don't think we ever would have because you just as a parent, you're busy. Um, you know, you're running around and just having that time to sit down and write out a full novel. We just didn't have it. And yeah. so when we had that like crisis, you know, we, we found the time. I remember I have a picture of him sitting at our kitchen table with our son in his lap with the computer um, <laughs> on the kitchen table, you know, literally like just sleeping like that. And, and we just forced ourselves to finish it. Yeah. Um, and just to see what might be possible and what could happen. And we were literally devouring every blog we can find on self-publishing. I think within like the first three months we published, I want to say like 12 or 15 titles because yeah, we yeah. started publishing short stories. Right. Um, and, and novellas just trying to get something out there to see, you know, will we get any income from this whatsoever? And even how do we even do this just mechanically? How do we get and, something from my computer to the Internet? Right, right. And because we, we weren't really that tech savvy, so we couldn't even figure out how to make covers in the very yeah. beginning. Like, how do you <laughs> upload it? We had to borrow a MacBook so that we could upload. You know, we just we did not know what we were getting into. So I think it just forced these things that otherwise yeah. we would have never done. The infrastructure was a lot looser then as well. Right. So the people, you know, the the service providers, cover artists, proofreaders, line editors, all that was really loosey goosey. And yeah, you didn't know what you were going to find no. sometimes. It, isn't it funny that most people have the mentality that if I can just free up some time, I can finally do this thing. And a lot of times great art comes out of great frustration um, from uh, adversity. You know, I, I think back to um, my youngest daughter, uh, I guess, I think it's been five or six years ago now, had brain surgery and had to have a tumor taken out. And it was during that time that the most impactful book that I've ever written came out of that time. It's just a way for me to channel 
kind of what I was feeling. And, and, and the book is, is nowhere about that, but it was, it all came out of that time. And it's so funny that, that we so often think if I could just have some time, I could do this. And usually that's not how it works at all. No. And people all the time email us asking about writing and they'll say, you know, I have this book, I have this idea. And what I say to every single person is come back to me when you've written it. You have to just sit down, make it a priority because each of us have the same amount of hours in a day. You just have to prioritize those hours in a way that makes that possible. So come back to me when you have it, when you, when you've sat down and you've made that a priority because you have to, it has to be something so important to you because this is not an easy business. (laughs) It is not. Um, nothing about it is easy. So you have to at least be willing to do the easy part, which for us, honest to goodness, the easy part for us is the story writing. Everything else is the hard parts that we don't like to do necessarily, but the writing of the story, like we could just sit and do that all day, every day. And we would be happy as clams. Yeah. I like to say that, well, not say, I like to think and believe really that really put us over the edge from going from all those bits and pieces and ideas on the computer to being able to consider ourselves novelists was just being able to get past that mental barrier at the beginning that says it has to be right. Mm -hmm. You have to make it perfect. Every scene, every chapter, I have to know exactly where the story is going. It's kind of like throwing your hands up in the air in a roller coaster and just doing it. You just have to finish it, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, you just have to finish it. And once you say, okay, I'm just going to write this. And even if it's not going where I thought it was going to go, maybe I'll have to rewrite it. Maybe I'll have to cut half of it and redo it. We've done that. We've written stories three, four, five times. (laughs) Getting past that barrier of it has to be perfect the first time, I think is one of the biggest roadblocks that'll get you from being an aspiring writer to a writer. Right. Agreed. So 10 years and a hundred novels on, on the other side. Now, do you think differently about story structure, about the the life of a project when you're, when you're first thinking about a, a book and the characters that are going to inhabit this book? And uh, do you think about it differently now than you did then um, other than obviously the, um, you know, I can do it now. I've done it before. Of course I can do it. But th- does it come to you differently? Does does the life cycle of a book, is it different now? I don't think so. I, I remember, you know, when we first started doing this, we were sitting in a Coney Island and both of us were just going back and forth with character ideas and story ideas. And that's exactly what we do now. We're just constantly talking, yeah, date night. We're constantly talking about the voices in our head, um, stories, dreams. I often get dreams. He doesn't dream, but <laughs> I do. Unless I've had too much melatonin. Right, then maybe. Um, but yeah, we're just constantly talking through that. And usually we talk through story ideas and characters and even motivations of characters for months before we actually start to write anything. Um, usually I start loosely like plotting things. Um, and, and so there's, that's always been the same kind of process that we've always had. It hasn't really changed. I will say that we are more careful (laughs) of what we publish in the beginning. We just wanted to get stuff out there. I mean, I would say even like a year in when we wrote the ever trilogy, I would say is when we were like, whoa, maybe we're stepping too far outside the box and maybe alienating some readers. And because honestly, we, just wanted to write the stories that we were thinking were was interesting. And the, we found the romance reader community was very different in accepting stories um, than we were yeah. because we came from a background of loving romance stories, but we also read other things too. Sci-fi, fantasy, were those right. lines of like the romance you know, structure is a little bit looser. And so some of our readers were not into that. They just had very, very strict feelings about what a romance should look like and feel like. And so now we are a little bit more sensitive to the traditional romance reader, where I think back then we were, we were just like, whatever we were thinking might work, go for it. And and then we found out, okay, so when the girl's in the coma, he can't have sex with her twin sister. Okay, we, we, like we figured that. that out. This is a no-no now. The romance audience did not like this. Dunk it. 
Right. So for <laughs> us, we just thought it was like an interesting story. But for the romance community, they were like, whoa, you can't go there. So we have learned a lot. I mean, we've just have all this romance community wisdom yeah. now. Thank God that it's out there. So we do really think more about can our reader accept this? Um, does this fit in a regular traditional romance box? Because even with Falling Into You, which was like a breakout story, the fact that our hero died four chapters in, that was really outside the box. But we realized there's limits to how, how far outside the box our reader community will let us go. So For us, it's a balancing act because we're both naturally outside the box people. people. We we don't like following rules. We tell us there's a rule. We're going to find break a way it. to break yeah. it and find out how many different ways we can break that same rule. Yeah. <laughs> but with romance, it's a case of a lot of those rules are there for a reason. reason. And right. it's a case in point of you have to know and understand and be able to follow the rules in order to be able to break them successfully. Right. And when right. to when to do that. Right. And I'm, unfortunately, I'm, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Unfortunately, too, for us, we are so ADHD that we can't write the same story over and over and over again. Our agent said to us once, like, the problem is you can't write the same story. And you should. You should keep writing falling into you over and over and over and over again with different characters. And a lot of authors are very successful doing that. We just are so, I would say, like artistically spastic that we cannot keep with those same kind of stories. We have to write really out there things to stay interested in our own stories. So that's the challenge. We've even tried. We've really tried. We're working on that now. The series we're working on now is loosely formulaic, but every story ends up being different. Totally different. Despite the fact that it's all structured on the same essential bones. Yeah. And that's intentional every time. But so far, working on the third book now, everyone's the characters like, are going to always surprise you. The voices yep. are just what they are. And even when you try to force it, you can't, you just have to go with whatever creatively comes out of you. And we've also learned from wisdom that you kind of just have to ride that ride. Like you yeah. have to let it take you where it's going to take you. Well, I'm so glad that y'all brought this up because, um, you know, if, if you study, um, indie publishing, especially, and you start looking at what successful authors have done and how mm -hmm. can I replicate their success? One thing you learn pretty quickly is the, the whole right to market, um, mindset and and uh some people get so caught up in that they just get into the weeds and once again they get distracted and never actually write because they get so caught up in following the rules and and what does this mean and you know am i uh staying within the boundaries appropriately um you said that you found out pretty quickly that there are boundaries that your readers don't necessarily want you to cross. Right. Um, so there are rules, there are boundaries. How do you, and, and, you know, like you guys said, you're kind of all over the place, but you still manage to meet reader expectations yeah. while, while still, you know, having spastic stories, as you said, um, how do you, how do you juggle those things? I think it's really hard. You know, he won't read reviews. He doesn't really like to do that. I read reviews just because I want to have some kind of feedback, positive or negative. And, you know, when we had the Ever Trilogy come out, we got a lot of like scary, almost threatening. Hate mail. Yeah, hate mail. And wow. that's when we really had to make decisions about, okay, there is boundaries, but then we can go a little bit outside, but just not all the way. I do think that, you know, once you try to start being like everybody else, you lose your creative edge and that yeah. can kill your creative flow. So we battle a lot of times because especially I always say he likes to jump the shark. Um, this is like in our <laughs> in our writing partnership and our marriage and our life. This is an ongoing argument that he will take something and just fly off the handle and jump the shark. So I'm always trying to like rein him in a little bit. And I think it's a man thing. But <laughs> it I might think it be, is. it might be. Um, but for me, I feel like we have to always be true to our artistic selves. And sometimes that has hurt us, I think, financially, um, because we have lost some readers that way. But I think when we've tried to do that and kind of stifle where we want to go with the story, 
it ends up falling flat anyway. And, and you definitely can't duplicate other people's successes. I will say that. You have to, to be your own success as an artist. You can do that maybe if you're a plumber <laughs> or you could do that maybe if you're like, I don't know, doing some other kind of thing where you can just look at somebody's skill and craft and just try to do exactly what they do and put your mark on it. In art, you really can't do that. You really have to listen to your own voice and create the story that's in your heart. And when you try to become something else, I, I just don't think you ever can truly be ongoing successful that way. Um, and I would question anybody who thinks they can duplicating someone else's stories. I think you really, to, to be a standout, to, to create stories that people will always remember, it really has to be original. It has to be something that comes from that artistic place that nobody else can capture. You know, there's so many great authors out there that write books that are pretty much the same thing over and over and over again that I love to read. I love to read right. it. But as a writer, I am bored silly trying to do that. So I have to really be thinking about, am I trying to be something that I that I envision we could be or really be true to ourselves? And you know, it's hard because especially as the two of us are working together, sometimes we clash heads with that. I mean, we just are releasing a book next week that was going to go to a publisher. And um, I can probably talk about this, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I can talk about this. I didn't sign an NDA or anything. Um, it was going to be sold to publisher and they had things they wanted to change that we felt would not be true to the story. Um, and so we ended up not doing that deal because we just didn't feel like it was something that we could live with um, in terms of the art we wanted to put out there. It was pretty big things. Yeah. Um, three, three pretty big things that we just were like, this is a non-negotiable for us. And so you have to make those hard decisions sometimes where you say, okay, is it about the story that we really want to tell right. or about maybe being more successful or getting an advance? And, and that has all along our journey been very difficult. It's not easy to navigate, yeah. especially as an indie, because you can pretty much publish whatever you want. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's some things that Amazon puts the no-no to, but you know, really you can pretty much put any story you want out there. And I think that's amazing to have that creative freedom, but it also creates some difficulty. It does. You really have to find, a, again, a balance between taking a stand for your art and making a living and as right. writers that's really hard because you know i'm very much the kind of person where you know the art is everything and it's really just about the story and you know i don't i, I often forget to think about is this going to be commercially viable because right. when you're doing this for a living that's a very real thing that you have to think about if you want to continue doing it professionally if you just want to do it on the side as a hobby, that's great. You have a lot more freedom that way, honestly, because then if you don't care about whether you make money at it and whether or not your audience continues to support you, then that's great. Right. You're just putting it out for, for fun because you have a story you want to tell and you want to tell it. But when you're trying to make a full-time professional living for yourself and your family doing this, then you have to think about is this going to sell? Is this going to get readers to connect to it in a way that they're going to then come back for the next time I hit publish? Right. Does having a, a massive back catalog help those decisions? You know, when, when you're talking about market viability and, and, you know, is this a stand that I want to take? Is that an easier decision to make when you, when you do have a back catalog to lean on? And, you know, this is, this is not going to be a make or break decision. Right. It, it may help advance my career, but, but I'm going to be okay if we okay. don't make this decision. Does that become easier? Yeah. I mean, I think if that, if what just happened to us with this book we're publishing had happened 10 years ago, right? we wouldn't have that leg to stand on and go, okay, well, we know we'll be able to pay the mortgage, you know, without this decision either way. But I will say it doesn't make it any less difficult. Sure. I mean, you're constantly battling with the same issues. Like who do you want to be remembered as? Because, you know, also with our kids, we often say we want to write stories that our kids would be proud of, that our kids could read, you know, like someday. Oh, yeah, not today, but <laughs> later on, although we do have a teenage daughter that loves to read romance. Um, so it's just, we want to have something that we can say later, like, 
you know, we, we did want this to be included because we felt it was important. You know, right now there's a lot of things, a lot of issues that publishers will not touch. They don't want to touch racial issues. They don't want to touch differences of class. Like there's, there's things that they're just like scared of. And to me, I'm like, these are things that are important. These stories are important and they should be told. And as in these, I think we have that not only freedom, but in some ways, like a responsibility to continue to tell those stories. So for us, it's kind of like a conscious, important decision. But I definitely think that if we were faced with it 10 years ago, it would be much more difficult to say, no, we just have to walk away from this because we can't come to an understanding with it. It's especially hard a lot of the times because we have made those choices and we have made mistakes and told stories and you know, in my case, often jumped the shark and gone places where a story maybe shouldn't have gone. And we've lost readers because of that. And we felt the financial hit because of it. So you're more aware of it. Right. And so you know what you're risking. Right. And so in that way, is oftentimes that the back catalog, it can bite you in the bud because you know exactly what you're risking if this doesn't pay off. Right. Or if you That's don't true. do it right. That's true. Right. You know, we talk about in writing that no matter how many successful books you've had in the past, the great equalizer is the blank page. Um, that, you know, everybody starts a book in the same exact place. But I, I guess publishing is the same when you're looking at the other side of the business is that each new book release it, it is kind of an equalizer in ways. For sure. And I mean, I, I think it's not the same industry as it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, by a long shot. And I think, you know, it's it's much harder now than it was 10 years ago from my viewpoint. And I think you also have a, a seriously competitive indie industry mm-hmm. where before really the competition was the traditional publishers. Right. Now it's like this flood. And I think it's a good thing. I'm it's, not saying yeah. it's negative, but it just makes it more difficult to get your book out there to get it seen. There's millions of millions, literally millions of books out there, millions of writers out there. And that's great because you're saying there's the great equalizer that, you know, the ability for anyone with a word processing program Mm -hmm. and the internet Mm -hmm. can put a book out there. And that, that makes it accessible to anyone who's ever sat there and read a book and gone, you know, I could do better than that. And they sit down and they, by God, they give it a shot. And maybe they do, maybe they don't, but it's out there and you're competing against that. Right. And you're also competing against people who fill a hundred pages with the letter A and call it a book. <laughs> and some <laughs> better than yours, you know, who knows why, but it is, I think it is a very exciting time still to be an artist um, that you can do that because even like my mom is always talking to me about, she's like, you know, I bought this book. I think it was self-published. It's a really good, I mean, like there's still these people out here telling stories and, and, you know, my mom who has her doctorate in reading is just astounded that somebody indie published this because it's so interesting. And, and it's a story that would have never been traditionally published because it's just so there's different no and unique and out there. Right. So I think that's really still a good thing, but also it, makes it so much more difficult to get your book out there, like to be seen because it's just a sea of all these different stories being released into the atmosphere, you know? Well, I know that indie publishing really gave you guys your entry into Mm -hmm. publishing um, and, and that you have done tremendous things in the, in the indie space, but you've also chosen to traditionally publish uh, some things. Um, Do you, how do you weigh the the benefits versus, um, you know, some of the the stuff that you have to put up with from the traditional side? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how do you weigh like like if you've got a new project and it's going to be a trilogy, and this person over here has shown some interest, but you know you could always go straight to your readers with indie. How do you weigh which one is the best for that book? Right. Um, you know, I think if we think a publisher can add something, if a publisher can bring something to what we're already doing, we will absolutely sit down and have a conversation about that. And we happen to have a wonderful agent who also is open to that. Not all agents are. And I will say 
agenting is also totally different than it was 10 years ago. I think you had more agents open to working with indies. It seems like nowadays that seems to be changing a little bit um, and more difficult to find an agent that is willing to work if you're still indie publishing. Um, But I think each project, if we have one that we feel like there might be a relationship with a publisher that would bring something to the project, then we're definitely willing to consider that. But that's rare, I think, for us. Unless it's something that's kind of like, if we were to write a thriller, something that was totally outside what we normally do, that might, a publisher that really is in that genre, in that space, could bring some different eyes, that would probably be something we would consider. With this last project, we just felt there was something really special about it. We've had several books where I'm like, you know, let's have conversations with publishers and see if they would bring something. We really haven't had that happen. We did do a trilogy um, that we traditionally published. I don't think that it did any better for us than if we would have self-published it. Um, so I think, you know, as, as indie, necessarily, they're not going to do more for you than you can do for yourself. I mean, I think there, there are instances where that can happen, but I don't think it's the norm. I think most of us, especially if you have an established career, can do so much for yourself that you really need to find someone who's going to bring something to you and work with you as a team in tandem to bring you to that next level. Um, But we haven't, we haven't seen much of that. It takes a really special kind of a writer to find a voice and a, a kind of story and also be able to navigate the hoops and, and everything that you have to go through to really succeed on the traditional level because there's a ton of them. Yeah. It always has been. That's not new. I'm not breaking any secrets out here. So you really have to have like a special kind of a person that can really do it because there's a lot that goes into it. You have to navigate the agents and you have to navigate the editors and the marketing is a whole different ball game and everything's just different. And, you know, for us being very independent and don't like to go. We like to be the boss. We don't like to be told what to do. Um, and also, so there's pitch writing is the worst. Also that, although we're really good at it, I got to say, are we, I think we are. Okay. Um, Publishers have told us that. (laughs) Um, But I just feel like we are the kind of people that prefer to have more control over our project. And when we did do a traditional publish project, we, we lost a lot of control. That was extremely frustrating to us. Um, So, like I said, I think, you know, we would never say never because I think there could be possibilities where we would find someone who was really excited about one of our projects and wanted to bring something to the table that maybe we couldn't. Um, So that's definitely a possibility. But I just think for most indies, especially now I'm seeing like distribution even changing. Um, you know, looking at like Colleen Hoover, who's really pushing that envelope and, and trying to get more of the paperbacks. And I'm seeing my daughter goes into our local BAM bookstore and she can get create space. That's not create space anymore. Amazon publishing and, um, KDP, um, printed books from, right. From BAM. So, you know, I do see that sort of change. And I hope in the future, it even continues to evolve. You know, those places are going to want to follow the money. And if we can continue to get successful indies to kind of push for that, which is what I think would be the best for all, um, then I think you'll continue to see that change. And I hope we continue to have more control over our art. You know, I think for some reason, I don't understand why. I really don't. But writers seem to have the the least control over our art. If you are an award-winning musician or you are an award-winning actor, you have so much more control <laughs> over what you can put out there. It's very difficult for writers. We have to continue to go through all of these different hoops and, and things we have to jump through to get our art to the people that want it. So I think the more we see this kind of evolution, and it's still happening. I mean, I think still with everything with KU and the subscription models, you're going to continue to see these things kind of grow and change. Um, hopefully, we will be able to have that kind of level playing field that the publishers have. Right now, we don't. I will absolutely say that we don't. And I hope in the future, 
you see more of that because I think it only helps the artists. It only helps the people who want to consume the art for that to be a thing. Um, and walking into your bookstore and being able to get the books that are actually the best selling books, not the best selling curated list of books. Right. How wonderful would that be for the readers? How wonderful would that be yeah. for the writers? So I do hope that that continues to move in that direction. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know for sure, but I would love to see that. Um, romance is by definition a character driven genre. When you're thinking of a new series, um, not an additional book in an existing series, but something brand new, something mm -hmm. that you've never told before, um, what is that moment of creation like for you? It, does it always begin with a character? Does it ever begin with a, a setting or maybe a, a plot device and then you cast that plot device with characters and see how they respond? What's that, what's that first spark of inspiration that that births a new story he's looking at me because he's like this is you babe um usually it's life inspired mm -hmm. and okay. you know i always say i'm the big picture and he's the little details i think every character we pretty much ever i mean i think i'm trying to think if there's been characters that have complete probably the missionary maybe yeah that was completely your characters. But I think most of the time it comes from some, either a dream I've had or like life inspired. Shows um, are watching. Shows are watching. Or like we went to a hockey game and like, I've never been interested in hockey my entire life. But some reason I was like captivated by this hockey game. It was firemen playing hockey. And like- Versus what, policemen? Policemen versus firemen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just think sure. about this. How could I sit as a romance writer watching police, like these cute police guys and these cute fire guys guys like playing hockey how could you not so it just birthed and again I've never had any inspiration by hockey in my <laughs> life but it just you know this story just kind of plopped in my head that night and I actually sketched out that entire novel when we got home like I couldn't then again that was date night and it just went up in smoke because that's what usually happens but mm -hmm. sometimes we'll have a couple sitting next to us at dinner and I'll like be eavesdropping and like catch something and even just something one of them says will inspire me um but it's usually something that kind of hits in a certain way it just kind of hits this little artistic button it's also i think a lot of what really is the moment of creation for us is the what is the the conflict? What right. what kind of a romance is this? Is this like these two people hate each other and they're forced by circumstances to interact and they fall in love that way? Is it best friends? Like it's, it's that interplay between the two characters. What's the flavor of story that we want to tell? And then everything kind of builds off of that because that's the beating heart of every romance right. is how do these characters meet? How do they fall in love and what is it they have to overcome to get to their happily ever after? Right. That's the bones of a romance story. And there's a million different ways to do it, an infinite number of ways to do it. And when we come up with a story, that's, I think, really the nuts and bolts of what we're trying to figure out when we're deciding on a story. Yeah, I mean, it can be an Instagram picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I if you want something inspiring to write about, people that are watching and go check out Hugh Howie's Instagram and his amazing <laughs> whirlwind romance with his beautiful Hugh. model girlfriend. And you will be inspired to write, you know, just like those kind of things hit you and you're like, wow. And it doesn't have to be like that story, but you just see that like love between people and that inspires us. Mm -hmm. And so the characters just kind of come from that feeling. Um, and I think for us, it's fun. Like we love that. We love pe like people and kind of dissecting their motivations and would they get together? Would they not get together? If they were forced to be together, would they eventually fall in love? Like those kind of things. The psychology of hangups is really, really vital for a romance author. Yeah. You, you, you were talking at the beginning about how everybody can learn from romance. And that's really one of the things is that as a romance author, you really have to understand people. Yeah. You have right. to understand what's going to make a daddy's girl who lost her daddy hold on to her heart. What's yeah. going to stop her from wanting to fall for this guy that she is attracted to. That's great. But she's got something that's going to make her not. What are you going to give this character that's going to cause them to hold on? All right. 
What, what is the most misunderstood aspect of romance that you guys deal with on, on a continual basis? Are there are there still misconceptions about the the genre and the people yeah. that work in the genre that that you're just like, come on, people, come into the 21st century. People think that we just lay around and have sex all day and like just <laughs> I'm serious. I get this all the time. Even publishers have said this to us. Like literally said that like you just, you know, probably just wake up and then drink your coffee and then you guys go try out sex positions. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I have six kids. I <laughs> So um I think that's the thing that bugs me the most. Like people, I mean we do have a lot of sex. Now I'm not the gonna kids lie. Are out we, of the house in yeah, school now that day. they're in school all day. Yeah, that's all we know. I'm kidding. Um, but there we take this very seriously. I take this very seriously. Jack is another story. But I treat this well, as he a is job. always jumping the shark. Exactly. Always <laughs> jumping me and jumping the shark. Um, <laughs> yeah, blame it on me. But I have an office. I get up. I, you know, take this very seriously. We don't work in our pajamas. We don't work in our pajamas. Time. We get dressed. You know, we treat it as a profession. And I do think that there's like this I, this idea of like a writer's life that is nothing like I have ever experienced. And if there is a I mean, I guess if you're publishing one book a year, maybe you can do that. <laughs> but yeah. we publish a book a month, usually or every 45 days. So we have a word count that we need to hit. We, we make nine to five. We have right. expectations. Right. It's and just, if we don't hit that, we make up, make it up over the weekend. Like we will say, okay, I, this day, I did not get this many words in. This was my goal. I'm going to have to play catch up. So can you watch the kids while I go and do this? I mean, that's, we've always kept that. And I think it is, you know, I see a lot of people say like, oh, I have writer's block or I, I like my, my muse has left me and I just will not tolerate that. (laughs) Like we will not allow it. You sit down and you put words on a page, even if they're shitty words, even if they're not the words you expected, you get them out and there will be this many words. And sometimes you can use it and sometimes you can't, but it's the practice of writing. Like there are not days where a plumber just decides not to be a plumber. You go and you work. And that's how we treat our craft and our art in the same way we respect it. So we know that if we don't do it on a regular basis and give it that respect, it's not going to get better right? It's not going to get easier. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So we just, we hold ourselves to that standard and that level of like, we think this is important. This is our profession, our job, our business, our career. So we are going to do that no matter what. We have shitty days. We have days that we are wishing that we could just lay around and do whatever people think we do all day long, the Kama Sutra or whatever, but we have to actually produce work and, and have quality work. So we really try to make it you know, just a non-negotiable. This is what we do and this is how we do it. Two things you said, uh, Jacinda, that I want to hit on uh, a few minutes ago. You talked about eavesdropping uh, on a conversation and then coming home and and sketching out uh, a whole book. Uh, If you're a writer and you're not eavesdropping on conversations, you are missing out. We love to people watch. We love it. Yeah. Yeah. People watch, people listen. Yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. I'm I'm right there with you. Um, but you also talked about sketching out that book. Um, yeah. Is that a common practice with all of your work? Do you are you are you guys planners? Do you plan out a book? And if you do, does that help in those times where you know talking about the muse not showing up? You know, yeah. if you have something sketched out. And, and you know what you have to write that day, whether it's, you know, up to your standard of quality or not, at least you can write it and then come back and edit it. Yes. And I always say this too. This is one of my biggest tips is, you know, I have an iPhone and you have the notes app. Every time right. I'm out anywhere and something inspires me, I write just a few ideas about a potential story, a potential character, a name. Even we've been in a in a cemetery and we've just picked some names that we liked. I mean, just anything random that could help inspire, we write that in a note. And then if I have a day where I'm feeling like I'm just not sure where this is going, I will look through my notes. And a lot of times that will spark something for us. Um, and I am a big planner. He doesn't do this. I think he has a list of names though. We've oh, talked yeah, about yeah. Yeah, He has a list yeah. of names, but otherwise he will not even make a grocery list. And as an example, when I had our fifth child, I sent him to the grocery store for bread and milk and he came back with 20 items, none of which were bread or milk. That's how unlist, <laughs> unlist making this 
is. I love him, but it's true. Um, and I make lists for everything. I mean, I have a list every day. I have a list every month, year, goals, future projects. Like it's crazy the amount of lists Ooh. I have. I have notebooks full of lists. It drives him crazy, but it, it ends up making us work really well together because again, he's like the scatterbrained actual artist and I'm more of like, okay, let's look at big pictures. She plans and I pants. Exactly. Hundred percent. She's and a plotter. I'm a pantser, and we do it at the same time. And it weird. It's weird, but it works. It's very weird, and it has caused conflict. I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's a very. I can tell you a very specific book, a very specific situation where I wrote something, and he completely changed it. And I didn't even really realize it until it was published that it was changed, and it caused a big problem. Like huge. Like I was livid. Yeah. Um. And so that that can be a boo boo. And now we've kind of realized that I have to do the final read through um, because he will kind of go off on a little tangent with things. And he really is, I will say, like the fine details. He makes it come to life because he will make those things that you feel like you can touch it. You can taste it. And I'm not that way. I'm more like the dialogue coming from more of a theater background. So he really does add so much, but sometimes it can go too much and things, 50 pages describing uh, a flower and a not really yeah. but that kind of that that bent of it yes so i have to kind of reel it in a little bit but we are very different in the way that we approach the projects yeah. but i think that's been a benefit because the things that i'm not good at he really is and vice versa so i, I know you guys have to go pick up kids in just a minute but i, I do have one more thing that i want to ask you um your collaborative process, because you are a planner, Jacinda and Jack, you are a pantser, but yes. you work on books together. Yes. How does that work? What What does your collaboration look like in, in a I, practical sense? It's People not practical at all. I'll be very honest. And we, and we have said, I don't think we could do what we do with anyone else. Like if we had another author friend that wanted to collaborate with us, I think our process would drive them crazy and we couldn't work the same way but really like i said i usually do the big picture and i do the dialogue and a lot of times it's really funny people figure that i do the female characters and he does the male and that's almost never the case either we're working on them together or sometimes right. even opposite yeah because i'm almost more of like the male the male voice sometimes can you tell how i'm always taking charge here um so we have to really like work that out in our storylines too because sometimes we have to balance that out so it goes back and forth it's like a volley yeah. and usually we will sit in our offices and talk about what we're going to write scenes that we're going to do and then i will trade and we'll go back and forth yeah. and then he will add things to what i have and and i will delete i'm like the editor i'm like okay this whole she's got a vicious red <laughs> i am like this whole paragraph <laughs> these whole pages got to go. So, I mean, I think we have a system that for whatever reason just works, but I think yeah. it's actually probably not something we could do with, with anybody, anybody else. else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, because we really good. I'm, what always stopped me in the beginning also was where does the story go? Right. And now mm -hmm. that we've done it and I have a feel for it, you know, I can, if I get stuck a lot of the times, I'll go back and I'll reread. Yeah. I'll go back a few chapters or several chapters and I'll read. And that usually puts me in the mind of like, okay, here's where it's going. And I'll sort of pick up the thread. Usually writer's block, I think is not a block. It's, oh crap, where was I going with this? Right. And if you go back and you reread where you have, where you've already gone, it gives you an idea of where you're going to go. But she's really good at, you know, Here's the next part. Here's where this scene needs to go. Here's here's how it ends. Right. I'm terrible at endings. And I think that's what's so great about us working together is because when we get stuck, we can powwow. And that's why I think community is also really important. Mm -hmm. Finding a uh, writing community. And, and, you know, it's sad because we loved um, RWA and there's been some things that have kind of blown that up recently. But it's, you need to have a community. And I think no matter what that looks like, if you have a writer's group that's in your you know local community, go to that. Get inspired. Let people be a kind of a sounding board. In the very beginning, we had the Kindle boards, yeah. um, which was another place that oh, yeah. we could go and have a sounding board. It's just really important to have that because when you're totally, you know, 
cut off in your office or in your basement or wherever you're writing, it's really hard sometimes to find reality and to have that kind of like sounding board, especially when you're writing romance, because it has to be based in reality, unless you're writing like alien, you know, sex orgies, you know, right. So sometimes we'll say, Hey, how would we, like, if this was us, what, what would be our motivation? What would be the next step? And we really do a lot of times use our own feeling and have that little powwow. And that mm-hmm. helps us take the characters forward also. But I think it's really good to have writer friends, you know, even if it's just not necessarily a writer friend, but a, a friend in your life that you can go to and say, Hey, I have this story idea. I'm thinking about this. What do you think about this? And get some feedback, get someone you can talk to about your ideas. I think that's really important. Excellent. Jacinda and Jack, it's been so much fun hanging out. Um, if, if people are just discovering y'all, and I mean, God forbid, if they've been hiding under a rock or something, where can they go to find out about this massive back catalog that you have and, and follow along with all the great stuff you guys are continuing to do? Oh, that's awesome. We would love you to join us at JacindaWilder.com. Um, you can find us on Amazon, Apple, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, any place that you like to buy your eBooks. We have an email newsletter and you first go to our website, that'll pop uh-huh. up. You sign up for that. And anytime we release a book, anytime we got big news, we're, you know, here's a new series we're going to be putting out. Here's yeah. a, you know, cover that we're revealing. Everything will be there. We'll put it out with our newsletter and, most importantly, you only get it when it's something that's important. So you're not going to get spam. And I will say another little pro tip to all the authors out there. Your email list is your most important asset. We had our Facebook page taken down by a glitch that uh, Facebook said, we don't know what happened, but we can't rebuild your page. We lost over a hundred thousand followers. And doing that was very, it was, it was really devastating to us, but having that email list, you never will lose it. It's yours really try to build that. That's like my number one most important tip to authors is really try to get that connection with your readers through your email. I think it's really important. Great advice. Great advice. Jacinda and Jack, thank you so much for uh, taking time to come on the show today. So much fun. Thanks for having us. Have us in another 10 years, right? (laughs) I'm sure we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do it again. uh, Hopefully before 10 years. Okay. It's a day. It's a day. We'll set it. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.